Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldrow, and this is a public affair. Today, We're talking about chronic illness, but particularly long COVID and what it means to live with it as this pandemic rages on. If you have questions, if you have long COVID, if you want to join this conversation and check in, if you're just somebody who's like watching the water and wants to make sure you share your information with us, give us a call today at 608-256-2001. I like to be on theme, so I am incredibly sick today, Um, and I have been for four days, and I don't know why it won't go away. Um, So my apologies in advance for the coughing and the sniffling. I do think it's on brand for our episode. I want to welcome our two incredible guests and give them just a little opportunity to tell them, tell you all a little bit about themselves. So Ben, welcome to the the air today. How are you doing? Thanks, Ollie. I'm <clears throat> doing well. And I appreciate uh, as a person living with a disability and with an infection associated chronic illness for the past 19 years, I appreciate one of the things we do oftentimes in our community, we, we have to show up with our whole selves. So sometimes that may be from bed, from our pillows, um, our fluctuating dynamic disabilities. Um, so recognizing our embodied experience is an important thing. I'm glad we're starting off this conversation uh, from that place. Oh, thank you so much. That's like the nicest, most supportive thing you could possibly say. I'm so grateful to get to talk to you today. Aries, Aries, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? You're you're on the air to talk to us about living with long COVID. You do have long COVID. Yes, I've been living with long COVID since um, about summer of 2020. And so very, very early on in the pandemic, long before we knew that long COVID, what I was experiencing was long COVID. And I'll talk a little bit about that um, as well, but I'm very excited to be here. And as Ben said, for us living with disabilities, oftentimes we are doing these conversations from our beds. And I literally just pulled myself out of bed to come downstairs for this conversation. And I'll be going right back. Oh, you all are, you are so needed. You're like a, a salve for the soul today. You're also on the air with an adorable baby. Um, can we talk a little bit about yes, this our, is, our uh, guest today? Yes, this is my, my, pan- I can't believe I actually had a pandemic baby. Um, and so uh, introduce yourself, Yassine. Um, <laughs> this is Yassine Zorabene. They use a she and he- they pronouns and, um, surviving pregnancy with long COVID was something that I never thought that would be my story. Um, But um, learning how to live with disability helped me navigate my pregnancy in ways that I found unimaginable. I, I can't even imagine, honestly, I think if you are having like whatever your version of a healthy pregnancy is, pregnancy is always tremendously challenging, is always incredibly hard on a person's body. Um, and, and so to add, you know, being Black in a state where Black women are, are not given good health care on a regular basis, where the maternal rate the maternal mortality rate for Black women is three times that of white women, where the infant mortality rate for Black children is 15 times that of white children. And then to add long COVID into that mixture, um, talk to us a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah, so, you know, I am a, I formerly have worked with Planned Parenthood, and so I was very, very aware of the bleakness that is being both Black and female-bodied in this country, but specifically where I'm from in Ohio, um, Ohio is one of the worst states 
um, and I live in one of the worst counties, to, to be um, a Black femme person who is pregnant. And thankfully, I had just such immense support. And because I've done this work in the community for so long, I kind of knew where the resources were. So I was able to work with an organization called Birth and Beautiful Communities, where I was paired with a doula for free. Um, I have other birth worker friends and folks who were able just to surround their care. I had just such wraparound care. And even to this day, even three months later, I still have really, really great care. I have a visiting nurse who comes to see, visit me and the baby to check on us and check on our well-being. But it was a, a very, very long road. Um, you know, lots and lots of doctor's visits, uh, navigating between high-risk doctors and my regular GYN and cardiologists and all these things. And so having to wear heart monitors and so much stuff I had to deal with that I had to deal with with COVID, but also had to take those extra steps to make sure I survived the pregnancy. And so I didn't get to really enjoy the, the emotional parts of just like, I mean, I did in a sense, but I didn't get to enjoy all of the things that just came from having an easy pregnancy at the back of my mind was always, what is the outcome you know, of this, knowing what I know about how the health systems, systems in this country are set up against me, I just wanted to survive so much so that I didn't even cry during my, my entire labor experience, my entire birth experience. It was like literally a week later, I was in the car driving to my baby's first uh, checkup appointment and a song came on my, my iTunes and I started bawling, crying because I had just been on such, I was just on, you know, the whole time and very diligent with every single person that was serving me and making sure that every single person that came into my hospital room was masked um, and all of those things to just to ensure my health and well-being and my child's health and well-being. And so it's a constant state of having to be on and having to advocate for yourself before you can just enjoy you know, this, this, what is supposed to be this beautiful experience. I think talking about, you know, I live on the east side, so you can hear the planes. I just feel like my neighbors, you know, I want to, I want to let you all know if you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm coming to you live from my home today. We're talking about long COVID. I am the sickest I've been in since I had COVID, and I had COVID for the first time in 2023 on my birthday, because of course, right? My birthday is May 11th. That's actually the day that the pandemic was supposed to end. Ben, um, I think one of the things that makes it really challenging to talk about living with long COVID right now is that the pandemic continues to evolve and rage on. Can you talk to us a little bit about how um, disability advocates should be listened to in this moment, should be allowed to lead in this moment, are better prepared to uh, you know, unify our community to support one another? Yeah, um, thanks, Ali. Uh, I, uh, on, uh, and May 11th, I was in Washington uh, last year, I was in Washington, DC. And so what you're referring to is May 11th, uh, the public health emergency was declared ended. Um, and so all those protections that the government was like marshalling to like try to help people. Of course, there's so many people who didn't get all the help they needed, but um, a lot of the help that was there was because of the public health emergency. And, um, and Congress ended that. Uh, May 11th, 2023, that has a huge effect um, on a lot of people, including, you know, particular things like moving people, um, uh, uh, people who before had, um, were staying on Medicaid. A lot of people are um, being disenrolled from that now and, and losing access or going through things. Um, and so uh, I was actually with a group of other activists, people with, um, like myself, with myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, we just call it ME, um, or um, long COVID or at the Washington Monument in DC. And we had, um, you know, it's, it's hard for uh, us as disabled activists who I have like cognitive issues, I have physical impairments, I'm talking to you from my bed right now. That's my place of work. My place of interaction is uh, working from my bed, but we were 
Um, so it, it's hard to to mobilize and to be, even be seen. Or a lot of times the the, the problem is being invisible um, in the world. And so we had put out um, uh, cots across the Washington Monument, um, 400 different cots. And then we invited people all across the country with long COVID, with ME, with other infection-associated chronic illnesses to send in... Um, we, we were trying to figure out how to get deliver messages to people that they could um, see and understand what was going on in people's lives. And so we had people from across the country um, uh, decorating and sending in pillowcases. And so we had beds set up across the Washington Monument and people had, it was a very moving experience for me just seeing all the, um, the messages, the, the vision, the beauty, the anger, the outrage, the tears, um, from all my fellow activists um, who were who do this fight um, from their beds, um, and so I think you know the, the the first step for us oftentimes is um, is visibility and and, and being seen, um, and uh, you know I think for us in this moment it can be especially for somebody who just falls down the rabbit hole of like you get sick you're not getting better. Doctors don't understand, aren't giving you answers about what's going on. You feel alone. You feel confused. Um, one of the, I think, important things is to reach back and understand that you may um, have an illness where your doctor isn't giving you good advice. You're not getting a lot of the help you need, but you are, um, and oftentimes there's a lack of equity and access to diagnosis, to even be able to get to see the specialist who can tell you what, what may be going on. Um, but your body, if you move this out of simply just a medical model frame of, you know, what exactly is the precise disease mechanism going on, like you have a disabled body. Um, and, and there's been a, for people to recognize, I think in this country is really important. There's been a whole history of disabled activists, um, fighting for their rights, fighting for the changes to society, um, that, uh, that, that we build upon and we need to move forward from and so not and not just fighting for rights but fighting for justice and inclusion for everyone um so i think that's uh part of i think you know for for me and others i've been sick 19 years now i got a virus and i never got better um i know other many other friends who you know got sick in the um, swine flu of um 2009 2010 um and understanding your connection to a history of other disabled ac activists and always looking for who's getting um, who is getting left out who is getting um, uh, um, left behind and fighting for us all because if we fight for us all that's the only way to protect us if we leave people out if we say those people don't matter um, then we create dangers in our society um, that are going to come back to hurt all of us and so that we create a better stronger society by fighting for all of us Thank you so much for speaking to that, Ben. If you are interested in joining this conversation on WORT 89.9 FM, my name's Ali Maldro. I'm your host. This is a public affair. We want to hear from you. The number is 608. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the number is, oh my gosh, Jade, what is the number? 608-256-2001. Thank you so much. I'm like just kind of hanging in there, y'all. Um, but please call, ask your questions, join this conversation. Ares, I want to go back to what you said um, a, a, a little bit about, you know, having long COVID before anybody recognized it. Um, I think so often when Black people try to explain what's going on with their bodies. They are not listened to, let alone when you have something that nobody knows about yet. What was it like for you to struggle with long COVID um, for a while without being able to have a diagnosis? And how did you ultimately get diagnosed with long COVID? Um, so I, uh, so initially I got COVID probably late December of 2019, early January of 2020. And um, it wasn't until that summer that I started to get some very, very interesting symptoms. When I went to the doctor in early 2020, I distinctly remember taking the screenshot of like the, the summary of the visit. And they were just, you know, they basically told me I had like anxiety and like heart palpitations or something to that effect. 
um, or, you know, just just something very innocuous, like just didn't really, you know, didn't really make sense. And then COVID came and I was just like, okay, so I probably had COVID, you know, I was able to put two and two together. Um, and then that summer, I recall, you know, just having extreme heart, high heart rates, um, you know, having difficult times in the shower, dealing with like just body temperature, like feeling like I was going to pass out um, and having balance issues. And I've been, remember just searching on YouTube, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Um, and I came across binocular vision dysfunction, um, which is basically, um, you know, migraines and having panic attacks when you go to the grocery stores because of the way that things are lined up and um, having anxiety and having all these things and just had a lottery list of things that I was like, check, 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 check. And so I did the online summaries, like the online quiz, and a doctor called me immediately and said, you know, let's do this assessment over the phone, did the assessment. And I drove all the way to Detroit in the middle of a early middle of a pandemic and did this eye exam and they gave me these glasses that were supposed to help. And so I spent a whole bunch of time thinking I had binocular vision dysfunction, but it was actually long COVID. <laughs> because a couple, like a year or so later, I went back to the eye doctor, went to the ophthalmologist, and they were like, you don't have binocular vision dysfunction. And I was like, well, what the heck did they diagnose me as? And why did I pay $700 out of pocket for these glasses? Trying to figure out what was going on with me. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time getting it wrong until people started to mention that long COVID was a thing. Um, and so I was mo I've been mostly self-diagnosed. And so I have gone to some long COVID clinics, um, but I spent a lot of time going to neurologists, getting tested for POTS, um, spending a lot of time in Facebook community groups with people who have autoimmune illnesses and um, chronic fatigue issues. And I've been able to find a lot of understanding around those things as well and so that's been kind of my my journey i just appreciate that the baby also does not approve of the way you were treated medically so she just like needed to chime in and we are here for we're here for you little one thank you for joining us on WORT 89.9 FM I'm your host Ali Maldrow this is a public affair Ben I want to kind of shift gears to you I think so many people are so desperately eager for COVID to be over um, and I think there are communities where COVID is like part of just the reality like being sick is part of every single day. Um, if COVID is kind of the long-term reality shaping, you know, our world, what does that mean for folks with disabilities? Yeah. Um, so I, I won't pretend to have all the answers. It's an emotional thing for me too, of like, you know, I wish COVID wasn't here and the way it's shaped my life and impact and put up barriers um, and made me or other people um, at risk um, in different ways. It's it's not fun, um, and but it is. Uh, I think it does wake us up to the realities of the um, uh, the vulnerabilities in society that have been here all the time, um, and that some of us maybe haven't paid attention to. Others have known and and experienced them, um, and this this is a moment for us um, going through something together to look at how can we be a better um, community. Um, to each other. And, um, you know, I, I love what Eris said about um, a lot of times um, for many of us, when we don't get answers to the medical system, you know, we, we go out and we search for community and for connection for people who understand we're having that lived experience. And, um, you know, I've been part of so many other, um, uh, you know, Facebook groups, online support, communities coming together, talking and sharing um, knowledge. And, and that's really, um, really critical and i would say for um you know uh emmy action the organization i work for has a bunch of different support groups there are a lot out there doing a lot of good work um i would just say for anyone who doesn't have that support right now and is who's looking for like a glimpse of that um one thing i would recommend be, beyond just like getting on the internet and finding your tribe finding people who get it um and who don't dismiss you um, and you connect uh, is a book called The Long COVID 
um, survival handbook. Um, and I love this book um, contributed to by friends, colleagues, activists of mine, um, but it puts like in book form, um, just the way of like appreciating other people, the way um, uh, written from a lot of different voices and perspectives. Um, so if you feel like you've been missing out on that, you haven't been getting that type of thing, um, go find people, people are out there um, like me and Eris and, and others who are looking to support each other. Um, and also, um, if, if you want to kind of take a peek at it, I would say the Long COVID um, Survival Handbook. Uh, I, I just, I, I think it's a beautiful work. Um, I can't help but recommend it to everybody to encourage you if you're, if you're getting stuck on your journey um, to see that. Um, the one other piece of advice I would just kind of, I know this is going off a little bit, but, um, you know, so Long COVID can be a lot of different things. Um, it, you know, it's an infectious trigger from SARS-CoV-19, but that could lead to a lot of different states of things happening in your body. Um, and for some people, it could cause, um, you know, eye issues. And I've had other friends who've had um, eye issues that, that have come um, from long COVID. For others, it may lead to something like POTS, orthostatic intolerance, things like ME-CFS. Um, but uh, one of the difficult things is oftentimes when your body isn't working as you um, used to, um, and uh, things especially like your energy ability and your ability to be in the world and do things. That was a huge thing for me when I first got sick. Um, and I had this symptom they call post-exertional malaise. And I didn't know what, what exactly is that, but like my body would have a delayed symptoms worsening after exertion. So I might do thing on one day and then like a day or two later, like I all sorts of, not just be more fatigued or tired, but all sorts of other weird symptoms would pop up. And so it, it makes it really hard for people. Um, this is a hallmark symptom of ME-CFS, but it makes it really hard for people to kind of, um, do something and know the direct effect for them. And so one of the, the pieces of community wisdom that we've developed in our community um, is um, uh, the, the, the encouragement to stop, rest, and pace. And I would encourage a lot of people um, to, to do that, that if you, um, going from an able-bodied existence, an ability of feeling like you can take on everything, you can push your body as hard as you want, and there kind of aren't any ramifications. Um, for those of us who are disabled, and particularly with post-exertional malaise, uh, you have to operate in the world in a different way. And that um, doing that and being more careful, listening to your body can be so critical in, um, you're not hopefully just recovering, but like protecting the health you do have, because you may be a person with long COVID now who has certain symptoms, certain level of sickness or disability. Um, but some, but the truth is like um, a lot of people, while some people recover, other people can not or get worse um, by pushing their bodies too hard. And, uh, and so to the extent people are able, like being very careful and especially in these, um, you know, uh, first months or even years of having a long-term chronic illness, um, doing as much to support your bodies. Like the people I've talked to who took those steps early on to try to protect themselves um, had much better long-term outcomes than some people who are um, pushed, tried you know, to deny it or to push themselves too hard. Um, and that's, so that's really critical. It does, it, it, it does matter like who, you know, it, it does get to an equity issue of like who has the privilege and access and ability to pace. Um, and a lot of times I know people are just trying to survive, um, but where we can like stop, rest and pace is a, is a critical recommendation in our community. I definitely can second and agree with that. And I think it's also important that you surround yourself with other disabled folks who really get it and can really offer you a community of care um, my partner, Dr. Sammy Schalk, has a great book on um, Black disability politics, and she also told me um, about a great book called Care Work, and I'm not even going to attempt the author's name right now, um, but the book Care Work really helped me understand what it meant to be in a community of care and what it really meant to have folks that you can just ride with that um, can work within their ability to be able to offer you care and you work within your ability to be able to offer them care as well. And so it's really, really important that you're just around people who get it because the more you're around people who don't get it, the more harm you are causing yourself and honestly causing other people as well because it's just, it's, a, it's frustrating 
it's very, very frustrating to deal, uh, to be in community with people who do not know how to show up for you. And so, you know, having someone that just says, hey, you've done a lot. I need you to sit down and rest for a little bit. And even though you feel like you got it, um, I see a lot of videos on TikTok around people who are just like, hey, I've been dealing with long COVID, but I had this really, really good day. And I was able to get a full workout in. And it was great. And I think I'm done. I think I've healed from my long COVID. And I was just like, girl, give it two days. Uh, <laughs> you're going to be laying down. Um, and so I always, so what I began to do is build that into my schedule. And so I know if I'm going to have a very, very busy physical day or even mental day, because it's one pot now, you know, I have one pot of energy for my emotional, my spiritual, my physical, and my mental. It's all coming from one single pot and once that's depleted no matter what it is that i've done i can't do much of anything else and so i have no choice but to rest relentlessly to replenish myself and that could take a day it could take almost a week sometimes depending on what i have going on and i have to be able to plan for that and build in care around it i have to make sure that i'm taking proper vitamins i have to make sure that i'm hydrating the way that i need to hydrate all of those things to be able to offer myself the care that I know that I deserve, to be able to show up in the world the best way I can. And sometimes showing up is, just like Ben said, <laughs> it's from my bed. I do some of my best work from my bed. And it also means working within the time frames that you have. Oftentimes, I get some of my best work done at two, in between 2 o'clock in the morning and about 6 a.m. because that's when my brain is working best. I know that my brain is not that great when it comes after four o'clock. It starts to get a little bit foggy for me and that's okay. But I know that I can make up for it in the 2 a.m. hour. So that means scheduling my emails to go out at 8 a.m. So people don't think that I'm completely uh, bananas <laughs> sending them a 2.30 a.m. email. But it's just whatever works for you and continue to remain flexible with it as well. I think there's such a balancing act in the conversation about what works for people versus what people have access to. And and I really want to kind of lean into that conversation. After we hear from the first caller of the hour, Mike, how are you doing today? Hi, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for finally talking about this issue. Um, so we have known since um, way back in early 2020 that all the damage that be, is being done by COVID was being done by the spike protein on the, on the virus. Uh, what this spike protein does is it attaches to ACE2 receptors, which are everywhere in the body. Um, it's, I mean, it lines the blood, it lines the endothelial cells of all our blood vessels um, all the way down to the capillary level. So this is a full body system. Now, to tell you how serious this is, we got 100 million people in this country who are on high blood pressure medication, which upregulates ACE2 receptors. So this spike protein is like pulling everyone off their high blood pressure medication because it's blocking these ACE2 receptors. I don't want to get too technical here, but... Um, and there's now all kinds of published research which shows that the spike vax, Moderna's vaccine is called spike vax. Yes, you're, you're hearing me right. The amount of spike protein created by the vaccine versus the, it's dwarfing the amount of people who have the most serious um, illness. So your bodies are just saturated with this spike protein. Now, Dr. Jordan Vaughn down in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, has treated like over 30,000 patients now. Um, of course, the mainstream medical system is putting up hurdles rather than trying to help them. But his name is Dr. Jordan Vaughn, and um, he's his, it's called Microvascular Research Foundation. And uh, if you folks can get your doctor's on to, to contact this person, um, Cheryl Atkinson's on Full Measure has been featuring them. And uh, anyway, I think if you uh, if you can, he's getting rid of these 
blood clots called by, caused by these spike proteins, and he's recovered about 30,000 people. So thanks for listening. Mike, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. Thank you for going full science teacher on us. It was very cool to get to talk to you about spike proteins and learn a little bit about COVID and what makes COVID dangerous. And I so appreciate the intersection between kind of COVID and high blood pressure and, you know, the, the data and information that you brought to the show today. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. I'm going to ask you to, to just respond a little bit to our caller in terms of, uh, I guess, you know, the uniqueness of COVID and why, why our response to COVID has been so specific um, and, and why maybe it's not a good strategy to treat COVID like a common cold or the flu. Yeah. Um, thanks, Mike, and, and thanks, Ali. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm not a doctor, and I won't play a doctor on the radio. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things uh, people with um, um, ME have been talking about from the very beginning with 2020 that we knew and kind of saw coming was um, there's a whole history of um, post-viral research and you know i'll use a fancy science term called sequelae um but it just means you know the long-term effects of a thing and so there have been uh a lot of different types of sequelae types of outcomes that can come from SARS-CoV-2 um CoV-2 uh virus um but uh i think one there's a lot of difference also strands of inquiry into what's going on and we need a lot of different research um, viewpoints on that and so you know all the way from like looking at viral persistence to looking at um you know changes to the the cut the gut and the microbiome um and neurological impacts of this so uh, you know one of the things that i think um if, if we step back a little bit, because I'm not quite a science person. Uh, but one of the the things that structures this is that when we have ableism in a society um, where we don't like, you know, I've read so many different um, uh, recounting um, books about COVID and all of them talk about like, um, there's discussions of death and people dying, but almost, you know, I, I can read entire books about COVID and there's no mention even of the long-term chronic illness impacts of this. That people may not die, but they also may not get better. They get a virus and there are long-term chronic impacts. And we as a society have such an aversion to um, admitting, opening th th that um, door, um, listening to those experiences. Um, and we don't and we don't treat sick people and disabled people well in our country. Um, and so that has downstream impacts on the lack of science and investment in research that's done to be able to understand and treat people's bodies and, and help them. And so I think, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the history of the disability rights movement, a lot of those people who were the founders of that movement um, had polio. They had a virus and there was there were viral impacts of those things and so those raised questions those um uh, met medical things and new viruses that were happening uh people had to ask how are we um organizing our society to protect people to make people safe and supported and to have the access to healthcare and to do the research that we need and there wasn't enough of that and people had to organize had to get upset get angry contact their elected officials and put pressure for change in the system and the systems we have now are um, results of that um, but i actually want to go back to something you know eris was saying um and uh earlier is that, you know, we have to look back, I think, to our history and connection to those who've had other um, viruses or other um, um, uh, disabilities and who've fought to change the system. Um, but I think we can't just also look to the past. We also need to look to the future um, and ask who hasn't been included oftentimes before. And I know, I, I, you know, to be frank and to be real, a lot of times in um, advocacy spaces about diseases, it's easy to talk about um, uh, medical issues, but that don't um, include all people, where people don't all have access to the same healthcare resources and support. 
Um, and um, and sometimes I, we can, I wanna take yeah. a second to really think about that because the same accesses and support really means different support and different options for different people. Um, you know, it is different to have long COVID and have to get up all night and breastfeed an infant, right? It is different to have long COVID and be able to work remote as, a, you know, an electrical engineer and make $100,000 a year versus being a person who's partially paralyzed and actually stands 12 hours a day at high V during the pandemic, right? Different people. So the idea that like the disability community is this kind of one community and everybody is fighting for everybody. Um, I, I really struggle with that, especially because when I was on the school board, one of the things we really had to balance was people saying, hey, we need you to keep schools closed. It's really important. Our kid is chronically ill. We, we really need you um, to continue to promote social distancing and masking. And people who are saying, this is devastating my child's mental health. We can't keep doing this. I need my kid to be able to go to school. I, I want to hear a little bit what you from you in terms of this, Aries Eddie. So, yeah, I think that it's, um, you know, everybody shows up to the space differently and everybody shows up with their baggage, you know, and so... Uh, you know, especially with like the school analogy, I, my mother has been a school teacher in the Cleveland School District for over 40 years, and she works with disabled students on top of that, you know, who don't really have much control over, um, you know, where they're sneezing, where they're coughing, all of, <laughs> all of those things. And so, you know, what support that parent needs who has a disabled child to be able to go to work every day. What a, what, a, what a parent needs, you know, what, what a child needs when they need to go to school and have those social interactions. I'm very much one of these people that thrives on connection and being around people, but also has to live with the reality that I am extremely immune compromised and doing so puts me at a different level of risk. And so every single time I welcome someone into my home or every single time I, I have to step outside of my door, I am choosing to put myself at extreme risk for another COVID infection that can impact my life in such a difficult way. I've had COVID three times. Um, and in those, in, in the last, even in the last year, I've traveled internationally. I went to go see Beyonce twice. <laughs> um, but I had to do a lot of things that cost money, that cost time, that cost access. Um, to be able to protect myself. Everyone can't afford N95 masks. Everyone can't afford an air purifier, a personal air purifier that they can keep on their person or a, or a nausea solution to swipe their, their nostrils, you know, or have access to consistent COVID testing. Everybody, people have to pay for PCR tests now. Even just the rapid test is over $25. And so we live in a world that is commodifying care. I just want to remind people in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where we're recording this show, that you can get a free rapid COVID test, two a day, at the public library. Otherwise, you're absolutely right. They are $26. They are incredibly expensive. And that that is a real amount of money for a lot of people, a lot of people yeah. in my life. Yeah. I want to bring on our, our caller, Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Well, I, I'm doing okay, but my partner is really suffering. A long, long COVID victim contracted it in May of 20, having to work work with people that, overseers who basically made it really difficult to go by the uh, suggested protocol to avoid this stuff, and then got into a couple of vaccines uh, vaccinations like I had, and we're convinced, looking at information that we've seen, that that was that further exacerbated the COVID situation, and particularly with the mRNA, which has been in studies conducted outside this country, shown to really int further introduce the COVID uh, spike proteins into the body, and then to contact the MCFS and the POTS. Another issue has been extreme depression that comes along with this stuff, seeing stuff that ha has happened to them and it's made it really difficult to function. 
And then on top of that, you know, I've got people around us who kind of blow this thing off because, oh, I've had a vaccine, no big deal. It is a big deal. You know, they don't really see people around them who've been devastated by this stuff. You know, and I, I but there are some other things I'm going to say, and I, I decided I'd probably better not, but just let people know, you really need to think twice about what you're doing out there because you're hurting a whole lot of people besides yourself by not just not being sensible about what you're doing. Thanks for the show, and it was just ironic that it happened to be on as I was walking out the door. Thanks. Have a good day, and good luck to you people because I sincerely know what you're going through, even though while I had COVID, I didn't really experience a long COVID yet. So thanks. Bye-bye. Oh, Dave, thank you so much for bringing such compassion and consideration and love for your partner to the to the airwaves today. Thank you for for sharing a little bit of your story, story with us. Um, and I really appreciate the plea to people to um, to consider how their behavior impacts others. I think that one of the hardest things about COVID for me in a in a specific way is that I was a person who bought in really early to social distancing and masking and having my kids go to school online for multiple years. And after you spend so much of your time and energy trying to prevent an illness while other people refuse to be vaccinated and spread misinformation and don't get boosted and are um, completely reckless towards towards the the, the greater community um, has been really hard. How how do you reconcile, I guess, the the political devices divisiveness of of COVID and and how that has impacted communities with disabilities, Ben? Yeah, Ali. Um, well, I want to go to two things. One um, uh, one just one thing I'll just say with the um, uh, the, the vaccine um, itself is that there can be two things can be true at once. I, I am vaccinated. I have out all the boosters. I try to get um, as much um, uh, protection, immunity protection, infection protection as I can to protect my my body and my ability to stay healthy in this world. Um, and that's- when you say you've had all the boosters, how many boosters is that? <laughs> I, I feel like that, that people are like, I've had two or I've had three. We're a few years in to, to vaccination and boosting. How many vaccinations and boosts have you had at this point? When are you getting your next one? Yeah, well, I, I have a full bingo card, um, I, I will say. And it can depend based upon what you take, Pfizer or Moderna and the others, because some are two shots and some are one. Uh, so I'd have to go back and total them all. But I've had them uh, the, the first round and then yearly afterwards. Um, and that's been uh, and so that's been important um, to my protection and vaccines can be super important to uh, preventing infection uh, or um, uh, preventing severe disease um, and harm, um, vaccines can do a lot of good. And the same that can be true. And at the same time, there are individuals in my uh, chronic illness community um, who are um, already immunocompromised in different ways that they, so not everyone can handle the vaccine in the same way. And so those two things can be true at the same time. We don't have to polarize this into a either vaccines are all good or bad. We can be pro-science and want more and better protections and also pay attention to the ways uh, some people's bodies can react differently and we need to um, protect and, and respect people. Um, so I want to say that the other thing I, I think that the, the, the caller just raised that also is just really important to touch on because this is life and death stuff um, is really the, the family and personal relationship aspects to it. Because we can take this to like a social media level and like we're all talking to each other from our corners and fighting over the different things. Um, but uh, getting a chronic illness like this can be it is, I've heard other people describe it as a personal disaster in your life. It's like a hurricane goes through your life um, and upends everything. And oftentimes it can be invisible um, to other people. And it's really easy for people to um, to question it. Um, and if like, if the doctors are questioning you or the society's questioning for then for your family and friends, um, not everybody has a supportive context where people are believing, supporting, listening, um, being there with people. And so um, that, and that can be 
very alienating alone. A lot of people and um, struggle um, with that. I've seen so many people who don't have supportive family context um, where they're believed and supported in their chronic illness, maybe the invisible disability um, that they have. And so if you're a loved one listening um, and you're, you, you have someone in your life who's going through something that doesn't kind of like make sense, you seem to talk to them and they ask them how they're doing, they maybe cage you about it, or they share something that like you don't understand all the, the science or the medical stuff, but it doesn't like make sense to you. Like just your empathy and support right there is really crucially important for people when they're, you know, I've spent, you know, the first 10 years seeing like a dozen doctors going from one place to another, trying to find answers. And in that place to be believed and be supported, it, it's it's a life and death issue. Um, so I thank the caller um, for, for the, the way they're showing up in their partner's life. Um, and just encourage everybody like, showing some empathy, listening, paying attention, we'll, we'll learn a lot more um, in this world. And, and it's, it's a, some of the best medicine we can practice. I, I see that you wanna chime in and I absolutely wanna hear from you, Eris Edie. Um, I also wanna make sure I'm saying your full name correctly. So yes, all right, Join, jump in, let us know, let us know. I think that was important what Dave said at the very end of his comments where he said, um, I haven't experienced long COVID symptoms yet. Um, and it's important to, to remember that every single time a person has an infection, it increases their chances and likelihood of getting long COVID. And the only way to prevent getting long COVID is to prevent getting COVID altogether. Um, and so, you know, we need better protections from a from a governmental level, um, but also there are just so many different things that we can do to have personal protections for one another. Um, you know, one of the one of the many th one of the things that I do just to protect my my heart health because COVID is a vascular issue um, is I'll take a baby aspirin every day. Um, just to kind of reduce the chances of those micro blood clots turning into something major, um, like strokes and things of that nature. I have many friends who have had COVID who have also ended up having strokes, which is really, really scary, especially um, just because we are just, a lot of us are so young and experiencing things that we just never fathomed. And so taking a baby aspirin every day can make a major difference in a lot of folks' lives. And so I just want to encourage folks to do that because it's one tiny thing that you can do. Um, and so, um, and the other thing is just to realize that, uh, you know, a lot of the symptoms that you may be dealing with or like heart palpitations or there's a cough that won't go away and all these other things, you know, a lot of people are walking around not understanding what disability is and, under and not understanding that they are indeed disabled. Um, and so some folks feel like they're separated from the community where they're actually a lot closer than what they think they are. Um, and so taking a hard look at the health that they, the health issues that they're dealing with and getting the support that they need to understand it better, but also understanding that you indeed might be disabled and you probably can find some community and support, but also as you're walking into this community as a new person in the community, take the time to listen to the folks who have been there for a long time because they have the institutional knowledge. And so I would never, um, come in as an expert on what it means to be disabled, even though I've been disabled for a very long time for a plethora of other reasons, but being newly disabled in this way has given me the chance just to sit back and really um, take inventory and really listen and really learn and learn how to be in community with folks who have been doing this work on the front lines for a very, very long time. Mm, thank you. We have a great question from uh, a caller who doesn't want to join us on air. It's totally okay. I want to remind anybody who wants to call that you can always give your question to our incredible producer, Jade, our amazing engineer, John, and they will make sure um, that we hear from you. And like every week, I tell you all how grateful I am for Jade and John today, especially like I'm barely hanging on. Like Jade is like typing in the chat, like basic instructions. She is keeping me alive. Um, so huge shout out to these folks and huge shout Shout out to everybody who called into the show. This is going to be one of our last questions of the hour. There is an understanding that the GLP wants to cut funding for research into infectious disease. Do your guests have any information or insight about this? I'm going to start with you, Ben. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we have not had uh, 
there's not the support in Congress that there should be um, for uh, um, infection-associated chronic illness. Uh, the, uh, we should be funding this at much higher levels. Um, and currently, there are folks organizing a moonshot for um, long COVID funding. And so you can go for to longcovidmoonshot.org um, to learn more about that initiative. Um, there, you know, so. Uh, there are, there are elected officials who are always trying to take away funding and, and healthcare and support for people. And we've got to um, push to um, make sure that we, uh, all of us get the, the resources and support we need. Uh, there was a, uh, um, a committee hearing in the Senate um, just earlier this this past month, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders um, held um, the, the health committee and they held it on long COVID um, and, and many, um, long COVID advocates came and spoke and testified about the need for um, increased appropriations. And, you know, frankly, um, long COVID is hitting our elected officials. It's hitting um, family members of elected officials in, in a way um, that is, uh, the, the, that I, um, unfortunately, is driving home the reality and the disaster um, of this. So, I'm hoping and fighting for um, for more funding. You know, uh, Congress needs to fund a, a moonshot for long COVID. And you know, the first thing they could be doing is funding a billion dollars more for for the National Institutes of Health um, to help people. So I, I hope they do that. We need to keep putting pressure on our elected officials. And um, I greatly appreciate that you are encouraging people to put pressure on elected officials and stay hopeful. We don't have much time left. Eris, I want to ask you, on May 11th this year, it'll be a year um, after, you know, after the emergency ended related to COVID-19. Would you come back in May and, and talk to us about what it's been like a year after the emergency? Would you join us again on WORT? I have so much more I want to talk to you about. I would love to come back. So please, you know, tag me in. I'm ready. Ben, I would love to have you back in May. Are you available? Can you can can we get in in your schedule early? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and we're 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 funding uh, launching a campaign around May twelfth is uh, millions missing, and so we organize and celebrate the millions who are missing from infection associated chronic illnesses like ME and long COVID and others, and work for change. We want to ha have our medical schools teach about these illnesses and our healthcare systems better treat. Um, these illnesses. So I uh, encourage anyone to go to millionsmissing.org if they want to learn more. Um, just a couple other shout outs I give is uh, covid.gov slash long COVID. Great, good government website to learn a lot of information. Uh, if you want to know more about ME Action, go to meaction.net. Um, you can find out, out about our movement. Um, and I would just encourage people, look up their disability groups in your area. Um, access to independence in Madison, Wisconsin. Eris, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Thank you all for being right on time in my life. I'm going to go back to bed.